21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you. Welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Thank you. It is such a thrill to have you here. And thanks for joining us today as we continue with our mission, which of course is building communities of learners. Today's guest is speaker, teacher, pioneer, developer, consultant. I pulled all that off his website, but his name is Paul Hamilton. Most, if not all of us, have an interest or passion in something. Maybe it's reading, exercise, traveling, or for the smartest people out there who probably live the longest, sleeping. For my guest today, Paul Hamilton, sharing his, his driving passion. But his sharing has a specific focus, and that is finding technology that matches the learning goals for a classroom. This matching of learning to technology takes different forms for Paul and includes the use of the iPad, right? Okay. But also the consistent look for what is coming down the road, such as Apple Watches, virtual reality, and iBeacons. Paul's sharing comes through presentations he gives, podcasts like this one, YouTube videos on his channel, and his signature effort, the iPad Monthly Magazine. Enjoy the conversation. Paul Hamilton, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Oh, great to be here, Michael. Well, I'm excited to have you. As I mentioned before the show, you've helped me in some of your YouTube videos with my students, specifically with GamePress, which is a wonderful programming app, uh, which is no longer in the App Store. They switched it over to HyperPad, which you unfortunately have to pay for now. But it's a great app for programming for kids. So thanks out the the gate here for uh, helping me out like that. No worries, Michael. It's always good to connect, and it's um, to be honest, it's great to see people that are actually watching those videos because um, <laughs> I, I don't do it for myself; I do it for others. So it's it's great to see people actually watching them. That, that's how you get your you get your rewards or your payment in views, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, you put yourself out there a lot. You do a lot of work, and one of the questions I want to ask you right away was: uh, Is a teacher should we expect that a teacher has the same role? in the classroom moving forward towards the future, given the role that technology is starting to play? Yeah, it's a really good question, Michael. I think, look, I think the end goal is the same. I think the end goal is to enhance learning, to provide students with experiences that challenge them um, and, and their learning skills at the same time. So I think the end goal or the role of the teacher is still that that architect of learning experiences, I, I think that's still incredibly important, especially with the, the influx of technology into to the education sector. Um, so I, I think that goal is still there of teachers are responsible for designing really great, rich, authentic lessons where kids can self-explore and, and actually find out and discover and to work with peers. And I think the teacher still has that role of facilitating that. Mm-hmm. Um I think what's changed is now the aspect and, and, and the move to digital, um, the move to the awareness that kids can learn um, from watching a tutorial online. Um, kids can actually learn from their peers a lot more in regard to learning new software packages and so forth. I think that's really the mind shift. And I think the mind shift, obviously, from, from 15, 20 years ago is, you know, that that teacher standing at the front of the room as the giver of knowledge is certainly is no longer relevant. And I think if teachers kind of adopt that, you know, then then it's kind of moved past them a little bit, Michael. So, you know, Paul, though, a teacher can have a career of 30 years or so. And uh, you, you mentioned 15 years ago, we were certainly up more in front of the classroom. So how can we expect or demand? I mean, I don't know how to phrase this, that teachers change to align with the new opportunities for learning. Is that going to happen or are we going to have to wait 15, uh, 20 more years till those guys retire. 
No, no I, I don't think so. I think when I work with staff and when I work with teachers and speak, um, I always try and start with the point is, is it's not about the teacher, it's all about the kids. And so if you can have those teachers that actually say, hey, I'm going to put the students at the core at what I do, then that mind shift of me changing and me taking risks, um, it, it's not such a big jump, Michael. But But I think it's that mind shift of saying, hang on, um, things are moving quickly. If we look at, you know, coding is a really good example of that. You know, th there's a really huge push over here at the moment um, mm -hmm. uh, amongst the politicians, and I know there has been in the US and and, and certainly the UK. Uh -huh. um, if we think that um, our teachers have to skill up on every single concept and skill and, and then pass that on to our kids, it's just a, a ludicrous kind of mind mindset. So I think we just need to look at, okay, teachers, they have a little bit of a different role. There's still some things that teachers need to pass knowledge over. There's no doubt with in the early years with literacy and reading and, you know, some of those fundamental things that are still crucial. Sure. Uh, there's still aspects of explicit teaching where the teacher has to pass on what they have found as a teacher over the years. But I think in regard to self-discovery and knowledge and what we need to learn, I think it's much more important that teachers see kids as um, – I guess as learners that that is not kind of start and finish at the the start of a lesson and the end of the lesson. It, it, it's it's much bigger than that now. Gotcha. Okay, enough about teachers. Okay, so we can whine and cry about that all we want. <laughs> Let's talk about fun stuff. So, like on your website, you you say you're a pioneer in integration of technology, and specifically you're referring to wearables, augmented reality, iBeacon. Uh, can you tell us about some of those things? Because I I'm wearing an Apple Watch. Like, am I going to be able to do great things with that? And I've heard about iBeacons, but I'm not that familiar with them. What are some of the exciting things in uh, wearable yeah. technology that you want to talk about? Yeah, Michael, I don't think we've ever lived in in uh, a better age for for new things and cool awesome. gadgets coming in. Um, but I think I think the main thing is, you know, when we adopt these early emerging technologies, some of the things I'll talk about is, um, you know, we, we need to keep coming back to the learning and, and make sure that we're not kind of being dictated to by companies and so forth. I think mm, that's mm -hmm. a bit of an issue going forward. But um, in saying that, some really cool things. I think wearables is... Um, I think wearables is going to be huge. Um, it already is kind of coming in. Um, I got my hands on one of these Mayo arm sets a, a little while ago. Right, just, I, I see that. Oh, what is that? Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. Amazing technology, Michael. To think that I'm wearing something that actually picks up on my muscle contractions and then uh -huh. I can actually kind of control my technology or my computer or my um, my lights in my house. When, when we think about, you know, the physically impaired and, you know, all that sort of thing, Michael, it's such great transformative technology that's coming out, which is amazing. Um, the Apple Watch is an interesting one. You know, right. you, you, men you mentioned, Michael, that you've got one. Um, look, I think it's still in its initial stages. There's so many possibilities and potential. I, I just think the hardware um, and the operating system just needs to catch up a little bit with it. Um, but there's certainly some really um, amazing opportunities in regard to uh, the movement aspect and, and, and uh, sports and phys ed and actually um, getting data on teachers and, and mm -hmm. how they're performing and their heart rates and how kids are getting stressed. And, you know, there's so much rich data that we can get from wearables that I think is, is certainly um, really exciting as an educator. Would, would, uh, would you say what you find the most interesting is just the biometric sensor potentials yeah. that, that are out there with, with a device yeah, yeah. like that? So, yeah, I'm looking into at the moment just the accelerometer and um, tapping into the movement of the Apple Watch mm -hmm. in regard to controlling, um, I guess, 
you know, my, my devices and, and, and actually looking at, you know, once again, the physically impaired that actually can't actually grip a mouse or grip a pen or hold uh, yeah. an iPad just through basic movements, uh, fast and slow movements, I can actually control things. I think accessibility is, is a really promising area with wearables, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, iBeacon, iBeacon's like... Yeah, yeah. So we, how, how do you, yeah. what are they and how, and how do you use those things? Yeah, we, we jumped into it about oh, back in 2000, end of 2013 as a school. Okay. We got some beacons when they first came out. Um, and, and basically, it, it's just a case of the beacons are, I guess, a geofencing kind of aspect where our okay. kids kind of walk into a room, get a quick notification saying, hey, you've walked into a room here. Here are the learning um, opportunities in this room. And we kind of tapped into that, um, letting the learning find the kids instead of the kids actually trying to navigate and find where the tutorials were, mm-hmm. which was a really cool concept, Michael, to think that, hey, when I walk into certain spaces, it will reach out to me and say, hey, this is what's available to you. So I think that's a really cool concept. I think what teachers struggled with was I really had to make my own app and I had to <laughs> I had to develop <laughs> something for it to actually work well. And I think we're catching up with cloud-based um, content that we can actually load up on, on the cloud, but I still think we've got some way to go where teachers are actually kind of um, designing that iBeacon experience for their students. So we're still, there's enough friction now where it might be easier actually to have a website when a student walks into a room, they just click on a link for that room instead of having the content pushed at them. It's still probably easier for them to pull it down, you think? But the hope is that will change in the future then. Yeah, no, it's definitely there. There's a lot of schools that that are piloting aspects of, you know, I come and sit at a table, there's a beacon. When it comes within a meter of the beacon, it will just automatically open up that that learning task, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but I, I, I think long term, um, we need to go a little bit further than just a kind of a linking mechanism and, and really tap into, once again, you know, we could come down to data and, and actually seeing which kids are actually kind of um, uh, operating and which kids are actually learning certain things when they come into certain rooms and actually pulling apart that data. I think that's probably where the main benefit might lie. Gotcha. All right. So, Paul, you're kind of busy, I would say, producing content, maybe that's or prolific or, or however you want to phrase it. And one of the things you're doing is uh, your iPad monthly magazine, the online subscription you can do, people can sign up for for that. How did that evolve? Like, where did you go from uh, just being interested in iPads to suddenly wanting to produce that kind of content at that level? How did that evolution take place? Yeah, good one, Michael. Um, well, basically, it came out of necessity, really. You know, I was producing mm-hmm. these vi- video tutorials on on, I guess more more than just the mechanics of using apps, but more about the kind of the curriculum areas and the pedagogy and you know how to use them in, in really effective manners. So it's just been an extension from that. I think I think the big ed tech kind of frontier, if you like, is is not the apps or the devices that are popping up every day. Uh-huh. It's more how we're using them and those great ideas that teachers are getting and saying, I'm going to use this app in this way because it really does fit what I'm trying to do instead of the software trying to dictate, you know, what the learning experience is, um, if that makes sense, Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a good example of that is, you know, a little while ago I came across a world-building app called Topia, which is – is not in any education category on the app store. It's it's not something that you – I've seen anyone use in an educational sense. But 
by picking apart the app and looking at introducing species and building these planets and these fictitious planets, uh-huh. we, c- we can really tap into big concepts like sustainability and, and some different things like that. So I guess iPad Monthly came about from, you know, I think I have reasonably good and, and innovative ideas and, and just sharing those with, with the broader community because I think a lot of teachers are really kind of overwhelmed with the amount of app lists and all these software packages. Do I have to learn them all? I'd right. rather focus focus on the actual idea and what's the curriculum and pedagogy behind that idea. And I guess iPad Monthly is not about, you know, six different apps each month. I'm actually using the same app over and over again, but in a different context, which I think teachers find um, a little bit refreshing. Ah, I see. So you're using something like Educreations or is there a certain another app that you like so much? Yeah. So the one that's coming out tomorrow, iPad Monthly Edition 6, is mm-hmm. um, completely completely free. So I'll be posting that all over the place. Um, but it just basically looks at some of our favorite software apps like Book Creator, um, Explain Everything, um, Keynote, but just looks at using them in a completely different way than might be the traditional use of using those apps. So mm-hmm. um, it really focuses on the activity more than the, the actual app. And I think teachers are really looking for that. They're looking... How do I develop thinking routines? How do I introduce music with code? And, you know, just those really good ideas that are beyond what the actual app is kind of meant for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got a question. So let's maybe, I'm, again, this is an evolutionary question. So it's a lot of technology coaches, and I'm a technology coach today, uh, I've talked with in the beginning, we would often find an app or a device and then look to build lessons around it or look for curriculum to, that, that will go with it. I'm wondering, if are we still there? Or do you, most people you encounter, do you feel like maybe they've made, it again, the evolution to the next step where it's like, here's a learning concept I want to do. I wonder what technology there is available that's going to help, and help me assist me with, with that goal. Yeah, yeah. Really good question, Michael. I think, I think one of the things that, um, and, and I think Apple kind of revolve around um, kind of turnover of apps and, and making sure their users are turning over the apps in regard to um, to making money. But I think one of the things that I try and do is that I look at what wasn't there five to ten years ago and the thing that wasn't there is that um, the multimedia aspect, the ability for mm-hmm. kids to screen record, to, to record their voices, to make movies, to do all those things. And so that's a real emphasis for me. It's a, it's a real target to say, how do we use that that wasn't there five, 10 years ago? How do we use that in a learning context? And, and you know, that's why I use those same apps a lot in regard to that, because it allows kids to make their thinking and what's happening in their head more visible in a digital format for their teachers to then give feedback. So I think the evolution, what I try and kind of talk about is let's take away the the millions of educational apps that are available to teachers. Let's look at what we're trying to do. Are we trying to get kids to communicate? Are we trying to get them to collaborate? And then matching up the right tool for that job. So, you know, in my experiences, I've come across apps and I've tried to build learning experiences around the app and it's mm-hmm. really been a, a bit of a failure. <laughs> but But as soon as I kind of match the tool with what I'm trying to do from an educational point of view, that's when I guess the fireworks go off and we have those really rich experiences, Michael. Gotcha. So t- tell me about Paul Hamilton. I mean, why aren't you uh, doing something else? Like, why are you so, What drives you to uh, put all this information together, to do presentations, to talk on this podcast, to share information? Why, why are you doing that? Um, uh, I think I'm really lucky, Michael. I think I think a lot of people look at the teaching profession and that they think it's not a really creative, a creative career. But 
every day I'm kind of making new connections with with software and learning. And, you know, it, it's such a great – if I wasn't teaching and working with staff, Michael, I, I don't think I would have the same impact on the, on the ideas that I'm kind of presenting and, you know, mm-hmm. the blog entries. I, I think you need to kind of still have that foot on the ground and you still need to have those kids in front of you. And, um, you know, that's when we learn the most. So, right. you know, I, I enjoy publishing. I, I try and publish as much as possible, especially videos. I'm a bit of a visual learner, so I kind of like to see <laughs> to see what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but you know, I think if you take away that teaching, you know, you, you take away a big part of that. You know, the core business of what I'm actually publishing online. And so I think they work together in tandem so beautifully, Michael. Oh, wonderful. All right, let's get to the final question here. So let's look 5, 10, 15 years out. You know, if we look back 5, 10, 15 years, we certainly see a lot of pretty awesome changes. What are you hoping to see, or maybe you can predict what you think you'll see in the next 5, 10 plus years? Um, I, I guess in schools and education and technology, I, I hope technology reaches a point where um, we're really identifying kids and their passions for learning. Um, you know, I, I wrote a blog last week about coding in schools, and I, I kind of hope to get. I hope we don't get to a stage where we've got kids in rows learning code from grade, you know, four-year-olds through to eighteen-year-olds, because it, it, it's about kids finding their passion. And I'm hoping that technology catches up so we can identify the skills and talents kids have, and then build on those talents. Because I think mm-hmm. we still want. We still want our artists in our world. We still want our people that are great at building and and our engineers and our architects. And, you know, I I think sometimes we can jump on things that, you know, the latest trend and and different things. But I think in the big scope of things, I I hope that technology helps us identify kids, helps identify their passions and their talents so that we can really, I guess, produce kids that have a real passion for for learning and for new careers and actually make a real impact in the world. I've been speaking with educator Paul Hamilton. Thanks so much for your time today, Paul. Thank you, Michael. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.